So we started this series saying that like a bride and a groom at a wedding, we make vows when we follow Jesus. We make a pledge, a commitment to prioritize Jesus and allow him to be the Lord of our lives and the ruler in God's kingdom. This series has been about learning or reminding ourselves of what it means to live up to those vows. One of the vows that couples make to each other on their wedding day is to always love one another. They say, I will always love you. And I, I think we all know how that song goes. Love seems like a strange thing for couples to have to pledge to each other on their wedding day. Usually at a wedding, the couple is already madly in love with each other. They've just spent a ton of money so that they can declare their love in front of all of their family and their friends. And then the honeymoon is right around the corner. So they are at the height of their love for each other on the wedding day. You don't really need to make a vow to someone on your wedding day to love them. The vows are to remind you to love when you're not feeling so excited about the relationship. In my experience, the same can be true about your relationship with Jesus. When you first hear the good news that Jesus died on the cross to rescue you, even though you were far away from God, even though you didn't deserve it, it fills you with this, this joy and this feeling of gratitude and it inspires you to extend that love to others. You think, man, this is an amazing thing. I've been saved. I want others to know this God who saves as well. And you might think, man, if God can love me knowing all, all the things that I've done and forgiving all those things, then I, surely I can go out and love everyone. But those feelings of gratitude and optimism and a desire to show the love that God showed you, it can start to wear off after a while. We can start to take God's love for granted and showing that love to others becomes optional for us. Or, or maybe it just kind of goes on autopilot. And this is often what happens in a marriage. And it's why vows of love are important. It's not that love is absent from the relationship. It's that love becomes assumed or it's just implied. Those couples who so obviously love each other on their wedding days often find themselves in couples counseling saying things like, I just don't know if he loves me anymore. Or you know, she doesn't love me the way that she used to. And when they hear each other say these things, it can come as a surprise. And they might respond by saying, well, come on, like she knows that I love her. Or oh, it's harder for us to make time for each other anymore, but of, of course I still love him. Love that is merely implied might actually reveal a lack of love. I mean, how will anyone know if you actually love them if you don't ever say it, if you don't ever show it, if there's not some active way to let someone know that you are for them? Here's what is sometimes implied by Christians. Christians love, I am a Christian, therefore, I love. Of course I do. I must be a very loving person. I mean, I'm a Christian, after all. So, I love all the people in my church. I'm a Christian. I love all my neighbors. I'm a Christian, so of course, I love all races and ethnicities. I'm a Christian. I love people who have different perspectives than me. I have to, so I must. The transitive property tells us that we love people just by our status as Jesus followers. Just like a husband in a marriage might say, husbands love their wives, I'm a husband, therefore I must love my wife. But we all know that it doesn't really work that way. You can't imply love. You have to live it. You have to demonstrate it. I've actually been to a lot of weddings in my life, probably more so than a lot of people. 
When I was in high school, I had a summer job filming weddings. It was like two to three weddings every single weekend throughout the summer. And in my 20s and 30s, like a lot of people do, you go to a lot of your friends' weddings as they get married. Plus, I'm a minister, so I've officiated several weddings myself. And a scripture that you often hear at weddings is 1 Corinthians 13, also called the love chapter. And it's perfect for a wedding because it's all about love. I want you to listen to part of this chapter and pay attention to all of the things that love is and love isn't, according to the, the Apostle Paul. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Little side note for you. About half the time when I've been to weddings, when someone reads this passage, at the very end, instead of saying the word perseveres, they would accidentally say the word preserves. Love always preserves, like it's a jar of pickle brine or something like that. And this is fine, like it's an understandable mistake. The words look very similar. But now is one of these teachable moments that I'm going to teach you something. This may save you embarrassment uh, at a wedding someday. You don't want to get this wrong. It's perseveres, not preserves. It's like how the last book of the Bible is revelation, not revelations with an S, or how there's certain words that you're not supposed to end a sentence with. Anyway, back to the scripture. Notice in Corinthians 13 in this list how many of these things you can't do on your own. Imagine if you were the only person left in the world. How many of these descriptions of what love is would you be able to do all by yourself? These things that we're called to do as people commissioned to love others as Christ loved us need to be done within relationships with real live human beings that you actually have to interact with. These descriptions are all things that take effort as well. There's action required. You can't imply or assume things like trust or kindness or protecting or patience. I like to remind people that as appropriate and useful as it may be to read the love chapter at a wedding, 1 Corinthians 13 wasn't written to a happy young couple who was about to get married. It was written to a group of people who were fighting with each other. There was this heated disagreement among Christians in the church at Corinth about which spiritual gifts were the most important ones. Is it, is it the gift of knowledge? Is it the, the gift of prophecy? Is it speaking in tongues? It's probably the spiritual gift that I have, right? That's the most important one. The people really wanted to know what's the most important thing. And to settle the matter, Paul says the same thing that Jesus says when he was asked, what's the most important thing? And the answer is love. The most important thing, the greatest commandment, the most important vow you can make to God and to each other is love. If you don't have love, then you don't have anything. And in 1 Corinthians 12, just one chapter before the love chapter, Paul reminds the church that everyone is different but that everyone is valuable. And he uses the illustration of a human body and its many parts, all working together in unity for one purpose. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. 
But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no, everybody say this next word with me, division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. What does this mean for us today? Today, we don't really squabble and divide about which spiritual gift is the most important one as much as we do about which slogan to get behind. Do you say black lives matter or do you say all lives matter or blue lives matter? Are you for masks or are you against masks? Do you want to make America great again or do you want to build back better? I wonder if the issues of the Corinthian church were as sensitive and volatile as ours are today. I wonder if their slogans were as loaded and polarizing as ours. I wonder if you could walk into a group of Christians in Corinth and just immediately know who you liked more and who you liked less just by what was written on their t-shirt. You'd walk in and you'd say, oh, those are my people over there. I like those folks. But you know, those guys over there, they're more like the armpit in the body of Christ, if you know what I mean. Paul writes to them and he says, knock it off. You're all connected. Stop pretending like you're not. And then he tells them what really matters. And that's 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. So listen again to the love chapter. Now that we know its context, and I want you to listen for what it might have to say to us today, to people who are quick to splinter into factions and divide over our differences. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always preserves. I mean, perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So ask yourself today, who do you say you love but you don't really love? Who is someone for whom your love has merely been implied but not actually acted upon? And what will it take for you to love that person? The good news about love being more of an action than a feeling is that you can fake it till you make it. This is, this is something you could do. You don't have to wait until you finally muster up those fond feelings towards someone in order to love them. You just, you just do it. You help them. You give them something they ask for or something they need. 
you show patience with them or kindness or protection or perseverance. Love is action. It's something you do rather than something you feel or think or assume. God's love for us is not obligatory. It's not like, oh, they're my kids, so I have to love them. And God's love for us is not implied, as in, oh, well, they know I love them. I don't have to say it or show it. But God's love for us is demonstrated in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God loved the world so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And we should demonstrate our love as well. Jesus calls us to love him and to love our family and to love our church and our neighbors and even our enemies. And if we sit down on a couch with any of those people that I just named for couples counseling, they should not be able to say, I just don't know if he loves me anymore. And the way we love one another and the way we love God will invite the whole world to receive and live in God's love as well. So, here's what I want you to do. Three things. Number one, tell someone you love that you love them. You might think, well, they already know I love them. I, I told them the other day. We'll tell them again. You know, with anxiety and depression rates at an all-time high, uh, it could literally save someone's life if you checked in on them or let them know that you care about them. People are isolated and lonely and feeling scared. You can send them a text. You could give them a call. You can start to write them a letter or an email. All of those things count. And I'll tell you one more thing. Sometimes it feels weird to, to say I love you to someone you're not as close with. I've got a trick I've been using for years, and I've, I've even used it on some of you guys. Instead of saying the words I love you, I say I appreciate you. But it amounts to the same thing. So now you know my secret. When Jacob says appreciate it, uh, I appreciate you, it's actually the L word. I love you. I appreciate what you do for me, for the church. There's love there. So if that helps you, say it rather than not say it. Say it the weird less awkward Jacob way. But I want you to do that now. I want you to take just about three minutes and I want you to act on this. Send that text, make that call, write a note or an email to somebody. Uh, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to take out my laptop and I'm going to write uh, an I appreciate you email to somebody as well. Maybe even to, to one of you or all of you. Um, but take a few minutes while we do that now. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for doing that. All right, there's two more things I said I want you to do. Number two, show love to someone that it's hard for you to like. Think about that person with the wrong slogan on their t-shirt or that person whose last social media post made you roll your eyes. Give that person a gift. Send them a message asking them how they're doing or make a commitment to praying for that person every day this week. And the third thing I want you to do is reach out to someone from the church who might be in a different camp than you. Yes, this may sound familiar because I ask you to do this periodically. This is that thing that Jacob asks us to do that sometimes we don't always do. And I get it. It's a harder request. Sending an I love you text to grandma is one thing, but breaking down some very tough barriers, well, that's another thing. But I feel like in some ways this is more important now than ever before. Because next week, we're planning to try an in-person worship gathering outside in the courtyard. This is going to be our first in-person meeting in 28 weeks. And honestly, I'm a little nervous about how it's going to go. I'm concerned that like the Corinthian church, we will let our opinions and preferences regarding how we gather divide us 
into separate camps. I know that some people will and should choose to stay home next week and participate in the online worship only. I know that some people will come to gather in person, but they'll do so cautiously and they'll feel better about being around people because of the safety protocols that will be in place. The masks, the distancing, the no physical contact like hugs and handshakes. And some people will want to disregard the concerns of others and rush to regain the worship and fellowship experience that they've been missing for so long. But I want you to know that throughout this entire shelter in place, one thing that the leaders have been prioritizing, what we've really been making sure that we do, is keeping the church together and connected. And uh, we've been even teaching about this. In our Roman series, we learned about unity and deference. We looked to Jesus on how we're supposed to treat people. And we've been warning against division and divisiveness in our One Kingdom series. And I think that's going to get tested next week. I want us to hold on to these priceless truths and to see them put into practice next week. So if you choose to come and gather with us next week, you must, you must bring with you the most important thing, and that is love. It's a love that requires concern for others, a love that does not dishonor others. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It's a love that always protects always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me now. Uh, think of it as a vow or a pledge uh, that you're making to God and his one indivisible kingdom. Pray this out loud with me. Oh God, you made us in your own image and redeemed us through your son, Jesus Christ. Look with compassion on the whole human family. Take away the arrogance and hatred which infect our hearts. Break down the walls that separate us. Unite us in bonds of love. And work through our struggle and confusion to accomplish your purposes on earth. That, in your good time, all nations and races may serve you in harmony around your heavenly throne. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.